Well, you all see the title of the sermon up on the screen this morning. And uh, before I get started, I want to talk to the kids in particular. This is kind of an awkward topic to have the kids up for the first time. Um, But, kids, I'm going to be talking about some things that might be a little scary this morning. And this applies to adults, too. But here's what I want you to know. We do not need to be afraid because Jesus is stronger than evil. Jesus is stronger than evil. So do not be afraid. Now let's pray over this time of uh, preaching God's word. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So we are in our final uh, sermon of our sermon series on prayer. This is the last clause of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Spiritual warfare. This summer, I had the chance to visit Sarajevo. Now, Sarajevo in Bosnia-Herzegovina is a beautiful city with a rich, long history Sadly, what it's best known for is war, because from 1992 to 1996, it was besieged by the Yugoslavian army. Sarajevo is nestled between lots of uh, small hills, it's in a valley, and for almost 1,500 days straight, Serbian forces in that army uh, set up positions on those hills and just brutally besieged that city. Their goal was to destroy it and everyone who lived there. Millions of rounds of mortar shells, grenades, sniper fire. It was awful. A lot of you remember that on the news in the 1990s. Now, the people in Sarajevo had no defense. They didn't have an army. Their only hope was that the one person who could do something about this would do something. And that person was Bill Clinton. Because unless the U.S. got behind a NATO airstrike, it wasn't going to happen. The U.S. didn't want to be involved. But finally, after a week of really terrible atrocities, Clinton thought, okay, we can't sit by and watch this happen any longer. So uh, with the U.S. cooperation, there was a NATO airstrike carried out on several Serbian positions. And for the first time in several years, Sarajevo had reprieve. It worked. Sadly, that wasn't the end of the war. But that was a definitive moment. Now, you and I, and us all together, we are in the midst of a spiritual war. And the weapons against us are not mortar shells and grenades and bullets, but things like discouragement and spiritual oppression and temptation and deception the weapons of the enemy to um, drive us from God and to claim our souls. It's not a battle we can see with our eyes. It's a spiritual battle, but it's very, very real. And thankfully, the one person who can do something about it is only a prayer away, and that's Jesus Christ. 
So this morning we're talking about prayer and spiritual warfare. Uh, this spiritual war happens <clears throat> basically on two fronts. The first is the way that our sinful nature is exploited by the enemy, temptation. And so this is what the Bible calls the flesh, that unredeemed or un unsanctified part of us that's still in our old life that, that still desires sinful things. And that can be exploited by the enemy to make us fall. That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation. So that, that's a front on the inside, as it were. The second front is from the outside. Spiritual oppression, attack, um, external activity. That's deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. So we'll look at each side of, those, of that prayer, each one of those phrases in turn to learn how to pray for help when we are tempted and then when we are oppressed and attacked by evil. So first, lead us not into temptation. Now the first thing we should notice here, this is Matthew 6, 13. The first thing we should notice is that there are three requests in this prayer that deal with us, right? The first three are all about God, God's name, God's kingdom, uh, God's um, will. The second half of the prayer is about us, and all three requests force us to realize how vulnerable we are. So what are they? Um, um, give us today our daily bread. Why? Because we're needy. We're vulnerable. We're mortal. The second is um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are needy for God's grace. And thirdly, deliver us from evil. See, we are vulnerable. We are a lot more vulnerable than we like to think we are. And so this prayer confronts us with our vulnerability, our need. Um, what is temptation? What are we praying when we say, lead us not into temptation? Well, temptation is when sin calls out to you and invites you to come in. Let's say you're walking down the street, metaphorically, and a door opens up, and something says, hey, come inside. That's sin telling you a lie, saying, hey, you're going to be happy. This is going to be good for you. You're going to have more power. You're going to get what you want. And the sinful part of us starts to listen to those lies and say, oh, maybe I should go check it out, right? That's temptation. It's temptation. Temptation itself is not wrong. Everyone experiences it. Even Jesus experienced temptation. He didn't give in to it, but he experienced it. What's wrong is when we believe that lie and listen to that voice and walk through that door and get caught. Right? But here's the second question. Uh, why, if you're a thoughtful reader of Scripture... You might ask, why are we asking God to do something God doesn't do anyway? Because God says he does not tempt us, right? James 1.13, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Are we asking God to do something he doesn't do anyway? 
Well, another translation of the word temptation is testing. When, our, when we're under pressure, when our faith may fail, when we're tested. We also know that God does test us and lead us into times of testing. But here's what this prayer is asking uh, rhetorically. It's saying, do not let me get into a situation in which I will fail. Because God knows what those limits are. He knows what we can endure. He knows what tests will break us and what will make us stronger. And so we're saying, God, don't let me get into a situation where I will fail. Lead me away from those things. Lead me not into temptation. We can pray this generally every day, but I believe we need to pray this specifically. Let's say you're in the car going to work and you might pray, Lord, you know that this person I'm about to see at work really pushes my buttons. So please help me to see them as you see them and not to lose my temper. Lead me not into temptation. Right? Or you might pray, Lord, I feel really stressed and lonely and tired right now, and I know that when I'm this way, I am so vulnerable to this, these specific sins. So please give me extra strength. Please help me to avoid those things. Lead me not into temptation. Or you might pray this, Lord, I'm about to walk into Costco to buy a couple things, but you know that I see all that stuff and my covetous nature flares up and I think, I want that, I want that, I need that. Lead me not into temptation. Right? Whatever situation in your life in which you know you will be more tempted... Pray to God about that. Ask him for help to lead you away from those situations and to give you the strength to stand up and not to fail. Because, friends, sin really does matter. Uh, sin has consequences. It puts a wedge between us and God, and it opens us up to evil influence, which we'll talk about in a minute. So the first thing about this is to pray for God to help us avoid evil, avoid sin, lead us away from temptation. We might also think about this as a church. What are the ways in which we should be praying that God will lead us away from temptation? Lord, help us not to become inward focused. Lord, help us not to avoid hard conversations. Lord, help us not to have division and strife. Lead us not into temptation. Okay, well, the first half is about avoiding evil. The second half of this prayer is about asking for help when we are already under the influence of evil. Another way to translate this phrase, lead us, uh, deliver us from evil, is deliver us from the evil one, which is important because... Evil is not some abstract force like in uh, Star Wars, right? The dark side. It's not just some force in the universe. Evil is personal. Uh, it's real. It's intelligent. It's organized. And it, evil really, the evil one really does do harm to God's people. So, uh, 
The, the evil one has many names in the Bible. The most familiar is Satan. In Hebrew, it means adversary, the one who comes against us. Another name we're familiar with is the devil, which means um, the accuser, because he loves to accuse you, to make you ashamed and guilty and say, you're not good enough for God to love you. Another name that he has in the Bible is the great dragon, the great serpent, connecting back to the serpent of the garden. Jesus calls him the father of lies because he loves to sow lies and confuse God's people. Or he simp Jesus simply calls him the evil one. Now, under Satan's control are other personal evil beings called evil spirits or demons at work in the world. They are not mythical or metaphorical. They did not somehow vanish as soon as the Bible was written. They're real. Um, they afflict people in many ways, which we'll talk about in a minute, but their, their goal is always the same. is working under Satan. Their goal is to separate people from God, to keep people away from him. And they'll do whatever they can to make that happen. So how, how does Satan and his minions afflict people? We need to be wise to the ways of the enemy so that we can be alert and pray. Um, many of the ways Satan tries to influence people are sort of big picture or general. So, so here are, let me share a short list with you, some of which I'm borrowing from the author Ken Boa. Satan tries to prevent people from hearing God's word and receiving it. Remember the parable of the sower. Jesus said, some seed fell on the path and the birds snatched it up before it could be implanted. He said that's like Satan taking the word from people's hearts before they can receive it. Satan also promotes idolatry and occult practices. There's a store in St. Albans called Moon Shadows, which you can buy all kinds of tarot cards and Wiccan things, that's, that's satanic. Stay away from that. He motivates false teachers to lead people astray. He deceives nations and influences governments to hinder the spread of the gospel. He seeks to cause confusion and strife between people. Here's one. He encourages us to rely on our own strength instead of Trusting in God. We don't think of that being satanic, but that is. He seeks to make us feel ashamed, condemned, accused, and discouraged. He's called the accuser. Now those are some general ways that Satan and his demons work to oppose God's work. But sometimes individual people can be afflicted, um, can be... Uh, the, the biblical word is demonized, under the influence of a demon. Some of those symptoms may be self-harm, suicidal ideation, compulsive lying, unnatural physical strength, recurring nightmares, or seeing apparitions of spirits or dead people. This sounds like something out of a movie, but it's not. It's real. And again, we don't need to be afraid but we do simply need to understand be because we live in a day and age that completely discounts 
the spiritual realm, right? The narrative of today says the only thing that is real is what can be seen, touched, scientifically measured. <laughs> That's just not true. The Bible clearly shows us that reality is much more complex than that. There is a spiritual reality in and through and around life that is just as real, if not more real, than the physical. So we need to understand that. How, how do people become influenced by demons? Well, I should say that um, unless you're in the kingdom of Jesus, um, you are very open to demonic activity. So Colossians says, Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, that's Satan's kingdom, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So without conversion, without belonging to Jesus, we're very vulnerable. But even people who believe in Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, just as you can be more or less in touch with God, in step with the Spirit, you can be open to, to Satan's work. Again, um, the occult opens us up to that. Addictions, drugs unconfessed sin, habitual unconfessed sin, uh, but also sexual immorality, unforgiveness, bitterness. These are things that leave the door cracked for Satan and demonic power. I have a friend who's a pastor who has a lot of experience in this area. He's, he's part of a more charismatic church tradition, which, you know, whatever you may think of Pentecostalism and charismatic churches, they're, they're more in tune with the spiritual world than some of us are. And he has a lot of experience praying for people who have been in bondage to demonic power. His, his church was not somewhere in West Africa, but it was in Ithaca, New York, in the heart of you know, Cornell University, this bastion of intellectualism and education. And even here... Many people he knew were demonized and were set free in Jesus' name. Now, here's what he told me this week. I, I emailed him and said, what do you think I should tell my church about spiritual warfare? And one of the things he said was this. There are spiritual chains that bind people, like unforgiveness, bitterness, addiction, etc., that are stronger than physical chains. There are spiritual chains that bind people that are stronger than physical chains. But, he said, Jesus can break those chains and still sets captives free. And that brings us more into the good news here. Jesus sets people free. Jesus is stronger than any evil. Um, that's what this prayer is all about. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That same friend who served as a pastor in Ithaca um, uh, told me lots of stories, and I can't go into details here because of our mixed age audience, but talk to me later if you're curious. The, the good news is Jesus frees people and how does that happen? Through prayer. 
through calling on the resources of God in Jesus' name to break the chains, to deliver the captives, to set the oppressed free. It still happens. Deliverance prayer is not like the movies. There's no demon hunting equipment or paraphernalia or incense. It's just prayer in the name of Jesus. The most remarkable book I have read in the last several years is this. It's very short. It's called The Awakening. It tells the story of a young pastor named Johann Christoph Blumhart in a small town in Germany in the mid-1900s. Sorry, mid-19th century. So he shows up, a brand new pastor in this quaint uh, German village with his wife, ready to start a family, ready to preach the gospel and live a quiet life. But God had other plans for this man. There was a young woman in his parish who was struggling with strange and bizarre and unexplainable afflictions, some of which had to do with intense revulsion to the name of Jesus. Sometimes when their family would pray at dinner and say the name Jesus, she would faint and fall down on the floor. And many other very strange things. After a few pastoral visits, Bloomhard began to suspect that there was something demonic at work here. Now, he was not going out and looking for this. He was not experienced in it, and he was, uh, did not have any training in deliverance prayer. But he did have faith. He did believe that Jesus was able, and so he, he began to pray for this woman very simply that she would be free. And after several dramatic encounters with those powers inside her, she was released. But the story doesn't stop there. Because after this young woman was freed, other people began to come forward. And other strange things were happening, and there was this intense spiritual battle in this village for three or four years. And this pastor kept faithfully just praying or praying and fasting and believing that Jesus was stronger. And eventually, Jesus set everyone free who was struggling. But the story doesn't stop there either because what happened after this was even more amazing. After the deliverance, after the spiritual oppression was gone, do you know what happened? This tiny village experienced dramatic Revival, renewal. People were spontaneously gathering to worship and pray. Relationships were healed. Bitterness was forgotten. People were coming to Jesus in faith left and right. He couldn't, he, he couldn't get any work done because people kept showing up at his office to confess sins and to receive Christ and to be changed. The whole town was changed and it began to spread to surrounding towns and people would come on pilgrimage to see what in the world was going on. The German uh, uh, Physicians Association got angry at him for healing so many people because he was taking their business away. And now uh, people were healing each other in Jesus' name. Now you can say this is pff, unbelievable, but you, you have to read the book. And Jesus really does heal and save and restore and release the oppressed. 
one of the phrases that Bloomhart would say again and again during his ministry was this. Jesus is the victor. Jesus is the victor. He would say that in the face of demonic activity. He would say that from the pulpit. And that's where we land today. Because we fight a battle that is already won. When Jesus died on the cross, he took in himself all of the evil that Satan had, the worst Satan had to offer. He died, and then he rose again from the dead to defeat Satan forever. And so now Satan and his minions fight because they know they've lost the battle. They fight as those who know they're going down. They fight hard, but Jesus always has the final say. Jesus has conquered. Jesus is the victor. Let me close with this prayer. Uh, uh, well, St. Patrick, some of you know, St. Patrick was a Christian man, himself converted at a young age, and he went from, from Roman Britain over to Ireland to try to reach the Celts with the gospel. Now, in that time, the Celtic people were very superstitious and pagan and wrapped up in all kinds of magic and witchcraft. And so we talk about St. Patrick preaching the gospel, but he also daily faced demonic opposition. And so here's a prayer attributed to him called St. Patrick's Breastplate. And I'll close with this. I'll read a selection of it. And you might want to pray this along with me. And think about any evil things in your life that are oppressing you, attacking you, or evil that's affecting others. And agree with these words in your heart. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to secure me. Now listen to this. Against snares of demons, against temptations of vices, against inclinations of nature, against everyone who shall wish me ill, afar and near, alone and in multitude, I summon today all these powers between me and these evils against every cruel and merciless power that may oppose my body and my soul, against incantations of false prophets, against black laws of heathenry, against false laws of heretics, against craft of idolatry, against spells of witches and smiths and wizards, not me, Smith, but other Smiths, <laughs> against every knowledge that endangers man's body and soul, Christ to protect me today. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. 
Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ in breadth, Christ in length, Christ in height, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of Christ. May your salvation, O Lord, be ever with us. Amen.